Hey, welcome to the 204th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. This episode is brought to you by patrons Ali Akavan and Don Hessel. I'm Matt Enlo. And I'm Warren Kaplan, and today we have producer and production company owner Becky Morrison on the podcast. She's also the founder of Globetops, which is an organization that takes people's old laptops that they don't use and gives them to people that don't have laptops. That's pretty great. Yeah, I, we had a fun conversation with Becky. I feel like we were at odds sometimes because she is firmly on the producing side of film, and she is working on some really cool efforts to kind of revolutionize the way productions run, the way they are more inclusive. We talked a lot about how she has like a new style of call sheet for her shoots, which is really fascinating. Yeah, we get into the specifics on the ways in which she really wants to revolutionize production. And I think it's really a, a fascinating insight into, I think, the way that production companies are potentially moving, or at least a vision for the way that they're headed. For sure. The, her company, The Light, the Light.NYC, you want to check it out they are using this newer model that we're seeing more and more of production companies first and not having like a real roster of directors but rather like a group of various directors that they work with based on what the job is so it's cool i think we learned a lot and i think you'll enjoy this conversation yeah before we hop into that conversation with becky though let's talk a little bit about our patreon yeah patreon.com slash just shoot it pod that's the one you can throw us a couple bucks just to kind of say hey thank you and support our editors and our service space and all of the stuff that goes into the podcast we are not yet breaking even but we're getting pretty darn close which is exciting and it's all thanks to you guys contributing to the patreon and Matt, can you tell us a little bit about our panel guests and theme for our March 15th live show? It's the Ides of March live show that basically will be themed around managers, agents, and lawyers. All the of whom, reps. All of whom murdered Caesar, I guess, in this metaphor. Yeah, I also like to think of it as like the recovery day after the hangover you get from National Pie Day. Mm-hmm. We're going to put together a panel of suits we'll say uh to talk about what it is to collaborate with a team of people and uh maybe how you can even find your very own yeah it'll be a night of shakespearean drama mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in the agency yeah uh, togas are required everyone right but also if you're a patron you get in for free so hey if you want to find out more about it we are going to post about it very soon just shoot it pod.com slash live but don't go there yet because it the web might be not old, be old <laughs> but we're working on it thanks everyone okay cool and feel free to rate us on itunes too That'll yeah drop fun. us a review we love it well okay without further delay let's enter the great beyond let's go towards the light with becky morrison Hey, we are here with Becky Morrison. Hello. Thanks for coming. All the way from New York City. That's right. Brooklyn, baby. Yeah. So, Becky, you have a production company. You're, I do. You're the, you founded it. The yes. Light. Correct. And are you the sole owner or do you have partners? I am. Okay. And what, why did you start it? Well, I was a freelance producer for a long time. And the company where I was working got a new head of production. Mm -hmm. And that new head of production stopped looking at the actuals that I submitted and got very busy. And I started to, in a sense, have an existential crisis. Mm -hmm. And is this like a commercial production house? It was, yes. In New York. Exactly. A famous one? One that shall remain unnamed. (laughs) 
So um, the head of production wasn't really acknowledging the work that I was doing. Mm-hmm. I'd come in under budget. I'd show, I'd turn in the budget, yeah, yeah. all proud, waiting for acknowledgement sure. and praise, perhaps an extra day or two, and sure. that stopped happening. I think what that did is it spun me into a tailspin of like, well, what is the point of any of this, mm-hmm. actually? If I'm going to work so hard, I'm going to make these deals I'm going to um, save money for this company based on my relationships. And then it's not even going to be mm-hmm. seen or acknowledged. And so I think that was the beginning of me starting to uh, feel like I wanted to do something else. Mm-hmm. And I, at the time, I, had, uh, I was friends, or I still am friends, with two directors and another producer and started speaking to them about forming our own production company, all three of them men. And I thought, this is a perfect scenario because they have clients, they have contacts, so they'll bring that to the business and then I'll do all the work. <laughs> sure. Right. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, there is a lot of value in relationships. Yeah, really. Right? Yeah. But, like, pre-existing relationships. That it's work to build those relationships. Exactly. So I, I think that really also came from my insecurity in mm-hmm. a way and thinking, oh, I can't start a production company on my own. I need these men to do it with me. Mm-hmm. And we were all also very busy with our regular jobs and nothing came of it. And so I was actually at a meditation retreat and the thought bubbled up and came to me, why don't you just start the company? That by yourself. Way. By myself. But more, it wasn't even by myself at that time. It was more like just start the company structure. Mm-hmm. And then when you need it, it will be there. Right. If you build it, they will come. Exactly. I wasn't thinking that at the time, but that's exactly what happened. I went home. I talked to a lawyer friend. I set up the company structure thinking, okay, well, when we get things activated, it will be here. But actually, as soon as I started the company, mm-hmm. I started to get calls for jobs. It was bizarre. I mean, how did people know about you? They didn't. <laughs> so was it just like, oh, we're going to call Becky because we need a freelancer? And then you were like, well, it just so happens that I just set th- this thing up. Like, what if I just ran with it? Was that how it worked or? Exactly. It was, it's, it was very small at first. So it wasn't like all of a sudden, you know, some huge client came to me mm-hmm. and they were like, finally, you have yeah, a company. Sure. Now right. we can work with you. It was a very, the first project was a very small conference mm-hmm. for a business conference. And they came to me and they said, you know, can you produce the live video for this project? And do you have a company we can run it through? Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, I just opened a company. And had you worked with people at this event before or were you a referral? How did it how did it fall into your lap? It was a referral. Yeah, so yeah. somebody I had met. Right. So was, your contacts, basically. Yeah. Yes. Very small scale. Mm-hmm. And I had a check for ten thousand dollars, which was the entire the budget of the whole project, before I had a bank account. Mm-hmm. So I was at the bank. Can you please open up this bank account so I can put this check in it? You know, sure. right from the right from the get go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they said you need a federally federal employee ID number. I yeah. said I have that. Thankfully, <laughs> yeah, she, she talked I to her lawyer friend. Yeah, exactly. Oh yeah. Well, actually, sorry to segue, but what are the minimum things to be a production company? Like, do you you have to have an LLC or an S corp or something? Yes. And then a bank account, ideally. Well, that was the second part. Really, the first part was I set up a corporation. I think initially, I don't remember what kind, but I then transferred it into an S-corp. So that's what we are now. And um, in the state of New York, you can be tax exempt if you're a film production company. So we Are you serious? Yes. Tax oh, wow. exempt on rentals and that kind of thing. Oh, yeah. Okay. But do you have to, to pay? Move. 
Like in California, it's $800 a year to have an LLC or an S Corp. Do you have that fee? That's in minimum taxes, basically. So it's not, it's a fee if you don't meet that amount of taxation, basically. Right. So what about, do you have to have production insurance to be a production company? We, yes, we do now. At the, but when we first started, we didn't even have production insurance. I think the bare minimum was a corporate structure and then a bank account. And then we became tax exempt. Mm-hmm. And then we got production insurance. And then we got a website. And then I got business cards, got an office, you know, yeah, all that kind of that's stuff. That's pretty much the order. Some, I feel like some people start with a website. Like, I can't tell you how many of our listeners are like filmmakers, like one man shows, one man bands. And I also, of course, I mean, one woman bands. And they have like a website that's like, or in productions, you know, and it's like right. set up as a production right. company. But yeah, that all makes sense. Because a lot of times I think people do come into like random jobs like, oh, my cousin's looking for a commercial for this thing. And he's asking me for a referral and I want to do it. And yeah, you're like, and how can I, ready, can right. I do it? Yeah. Right. I guess the flip side being like, if you know someone who already has that structure, running it through them is the kind of the other early step alternative, right? Did you find that um, when you were first starting your company that people were looking to you for that sort of help as well or no? In terms of them having productions mm-hmm. that they needed some place to run it through? Exactly. Yeah. Yes. And it was very slow going. So it was the kind of thing where someone would call me with a job, a client as a freelancer. Mm-hmm. And I'd say, well, actually, I, I have a company. Can we run it through that? They said, yes, that would be great. So it was slow going. And I was still freelance line producing at the time mm-hmm. back and forth. Mm-hmm. And then eventually I committed fully to the company, to the light and to working with that and only that. Was there a tipping point for you where you decided, oh, if I if I go all in on this, it's really going to become something? Or how how did you make that leap? You know, because I think a lot of our listeners are probably can relate to a certain extent of like, oh, you know, you pick up a job here or there, but you have some sort of side hustle or day job or something, and knowing when to commit, I think, can be a challenge for people. You know, absolutely. Um, I remember the moment when oh. I decided. I my father when I was growing up, was a corporate mm-hmm. consultant. And in my early 20s, he moved to India and became a Hindu monk. Wow. Sure, okay, yeah. And we were together in Ireland having dinner. I remember I was eating soup. Uh-huh. And we were sitting there, and I was in this place inside myself where I was going back and forth, working for a production company and then working for the light. And I was very scared about taking the jump mm-hmm. fully to work Mm-hmm. Only with the light, because I felt like, look, if I commit to that and it doesn't work out, mm-hmm. what am I going to do? Sure. Yeah. For the record, I just want to say I'm not going to make any puns about the name of your business. Oren, please. I welcome all the puns. They're all built right in there. It's intentional. So you yes. don't have to avoid the puns. Okay. Lean I, in. You don't know, I, you don't know yeah, what you've done. You don't know what you just <laughs> What I've, have you wrought? <laughs> I've opened up the floodgates. So- I was concerned also that if I committed to working fully with the light and it didn't work out, that my contacts would dry up and that I wouldn't have any more job opportunities. And I remember my dad turned to me and said, so let me get this straight. You don't have faith in the light? (laughs) I was like, well, when you put it that way, because I am a very spiritual person. And Mm -hmm. when he said that, it was like, of course I do. I do. And 
I made the decision. I'm going to go for it. If it doesn't work out, I'll pick myself back up. Sure. Yeah. And I did. I committed to working fully with the light. And so far, it's worked out. And how long, how many years ago is that? We're going into our fifth year now. Okay, cool. And yeah, if you go to your website, you've done a billion things with like all these famous people, including Hillary Clinton and Bill Murray. Yes, to name a few. And Meghan Markle. And Meghan Markle and the Portlandia duo. You've worked for Geico, who makes the best commercials. So how did you go from that $10,000 video to like working with all these giant brands and corporations? And also five years is pretty darn fast. You know, what was the next step? It's step by step, right? It's, it's nice to hear that feedback because in a way it's just one foot in front of another, mm-hmm. one job after another. And um, here we are. Yeah. So maybe let's talk about then. So after that first event, what was the first kind of maybe six figure job? Let's, let's talk about that. You know, or or even that just just another milestone. I re- is really what I'm getting at, right? Because I think again, there are people at home who are listening and and you know are cobbling together a few jobs, but like that that step of like, okay, they're committed, and then what is that secret? Is it like it's got to be a combination of reputation and additional networking and like relationships, right? I see what you're saying. Yes, I think for me with my path. It was more that I didn't realize what I already had. So I'd been working in the industry for many years mm-hmm. as a production assistant, coordinator, production manager, line producer, and the contacts that I had made throughout that time ended up coming back around. Mm-hmm. So it was very, my challenge at first was I can't take any clients from the production company where I've been working. Right, right. And those are my contacts. But what happens is that over time, those people leave, they get mm-hmm. another job, mm-hmm. they remember you from all those years before. They end up on a corporate side or something and they, they're like, oh, who can I hit up to like produce this thing for me? Yeah. Exactly, which is yeah. why it's so important never to burn bridges. Sure. Because yeah, those right. people that we may think like, oh, that was an annoying client on this job, they may end up being the ones who fund mm-hmm. your entire production company four years from now. Right, right. The way you were described to us as someone that's like trying to change the culture of production in terms of changing the culture of production, what I mean is that there is a specific language that we use mm-hmm. in production. There's a specific way that we are when we're on set, right? Mm-hmm. Can you give us a specific, like what, an example? Sure. We use um, we use a lot of language on the walkie, uh-huh, right? So sure. we say- You oh, say copy or whatever. Right? What's your yeah, 20? Yeah, yeah. I'm 10 one. Yeah, yeah. Copy the li- that. Lingo, jargon is what you're talking about. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Or also shoot. Mm-hmm. Right? Just sure. shoot it. Or we're in the trenches. Uh-huh. You know, we're that language of production. Mm-hmm. Like it's a little militaristic. militaristic. Yeah. It is militaristic. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that yeah. militaristic culture of production, it's not accidental. Mm-hmm. Right. And I started to really research what's the origin of production. And I think that if you if you take the example that being on set or production is militaristic, right? But what we're actually doing is perhaps filming a dog in a hoodie or a penguin waddling through a zoo. Yeah. But the culture of the way that we approach that creative is militaristic. Mm-hmm. That's problematic. 
sure. me. Yeah. And I think Shoot. in need of an upgrade. Yeah. Well, it's funny because I've always thought that like the, like to me, filmmaking is like being in, I think I've said this on the podcast before. It's kind of like being in the army, but instead of like destroying things, you're creating things. Um, but there's this uh, hierarchy and, you know, you have like your departments and your head, the heads of your departments. And like, you know, a lot of times, like if I'm on a bigger shoot, I'm not even supposed to talk to like best boy grip or whatever. Right. Because like that's supposed to go through the DP and through the key grip or the gaffer or whatever. So there's something kind of cool about that. Even if I'm doing a commercial for dog hoodies or whatever, I feel like I'm part plugged into the system. I feel like militaristic might have this negative connotation of like going to battle, but I think there's something cool about being plugged into that system and into those hierarchies and everyone knows what their job is. And I don't know. I think there's something cool about it, but I get what you're saying. I think I think that another way to talk about is that is also the teamwork and the collaboration mm-hmm. sure. and the unity and the intensity of the circumstances. You know, we work long hours, we're in intense circumstances, and we get very close with people who we're on set with. And that camaraderie, I think there can be parallels to the military. Mm-hmm. But I also think that there's a cost to the culture of production, to the way that people are treated and the way that people are um, told to be quiet and this is the way it is and mm-hmm. not to ask questions and to do what you're told. And I think that culture of production in a lot of ways has perpetuated the abuse that we're seeing come out in the industry now. Mm-hmm. So I think you're right. There is a magical unity that can come out of it. And there's also an abuse and really a disregard of the completeness of who we are as human beings. And that's the part that we as a production company are very interested in addressing and ultimately changing. How are some of the ways that you have addressed those ideas? Like what what specifically is it that you do that... Um, alters the culture so there's things that we're doing and i'll say i'll caveat that by saying that we're in no way we don't have the answer sure 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 i think what i'm very interested in doing which is why i'm here speaking with you and everybody out there is inspiring a conversation Mm -hmm. to get people thinking around innovating production Mm -hmm. or just questioning why is it that we do it this way right and how can we do it differently sure like i don't I think that there's, we tend to think that this is the only way it can be done. And the truth is it's not. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of ways that people can be organized and not just hierarchies. There's a lot of um, innovation that has happened in the industry when it comes to technology and innovation that's happened when it comes to organizing people. Mm -hmm. And that has not been applied to production. It's pretty much been frozen in time for the past 100 years. So I think that when we can loosen our hold on that, really interesting things can start to come up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I think, I mean, I'm sure, Matt, you feel the same way, but I, f- I feel like there's been a cultural shift on set, at least from my experience, like over the past 15 years. Like when I first started PAing and doing, just working on small things, like people would yell at you all the time and I, I've been fired from set. I'm, sure. But now I feel like, I kind of feel like part of what you're saying is like a version of something that we talk a lot about, which is like, just like be nice to people and also be open to ideas. Like, I think maybe the idea of a hierarchy is uh, implying that like everything flows downhill, you know, but just being open to the idea that like this PA might have this great idea, you know, and not to be close to it, just to kind of establish a set where people are free to share their ideas, but also realize that there's a time limit and a budget limit and we need to like make decisions at some point um but yeah i I think kind of as a cultural shift like at least what i've witnessed and what hopefully like on the sets i'm on 
happens is like people respect each other, you know, and listen to each other, even if you are three levels, you know, underneath mm-hmm. the person you're talking mm-hmm. to or whatever. And I think that I'm not suggesting that then we will live in a utopian world where all the, the PA marches up to Video Village and suggests mm-hmm. to the creative director what the shot should be or to the director. Um, I think what I'm suggesting is that we look at that PA as a full and complete human being with facets to them other than just their title and what they're there to get coffee or empty the trash. And to answer your question, Matt, like one of the ways that we do that when we start to loosen our hold on tradition and free our minds up to innovate is that we completely redesigned the call sheet. Oh, interesting. Ooh, Tell us more cool. about this. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. the call sheet started to think, look, this is completely a um, reinforcement of boxes and mm-hmm. hierarchy. Mm-hmm. And a lot of what's on the call sheet is very old. Mm-hmm. You know, like if you, we have the weather on the call sheet often mm-hmm. and or the nearest hospital. And it's right. like, does the weather, that was back from the days like when before people had smartphones, they had to look at the call sheet for the weather. Oh, sure. Right. I do like having the weather on the call sheet, <laughs> yeah. not to be contrary. When do you include the phone numbers on the call sheet and when don't you? Well, we never include them now because we've redesigned the call sheet. Yeah, <laughs> so, so lay it on me because <laughs> I, I literally just read this movie. And like call sheets were the bane of my existence. It was a really small team. And did you have a second? We you didn't did? have a second. And it, I really, we'll get into it. <laughs> Not having a second was probably the worst decision of the movie. Right. Mm. Yeah. Because yeah. the second AD is traditionally their job is to make the call. Yeah, yeah. So it ended up falling on me, but more the other producer ended up having to do a lot of that call sheet work. And it was a bummer. So I, I want, I'm ready to hear how revolutionize you revolutionize because it's a broken the, the call sheet is like a broken system for sure like there's not great software for it you know you've it's a ton like of a, weird data excel entry spreadsheet or something right it's an excel spreadsheet but i was going to endorse actually um you're familiar with casper the mattress company no uh <laughs> the uh call sheet generating um set of macros for excel or for google sheets Oh, yeah. it's pretty nice. Wow. It's like it's like super duper smart. Basically, you once you do all the data entry, it like, you know, tallies how many like what your page count is. It'll let you know if your call time, it'll like a cell will turn red if you set a call time before or after lunch or if you're going to hit meal penalties. It's like just like a set of macros that are super duper smart, but it's still that's the best thing that I found, but it's still a slow laborious process where you You've probably already done all of that data entry a Wait, couple other you, places. Can you give it a script and it'll count the pages? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All of that's built in. It's 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 really just a bunch of scripts in an Excel sheet. So it, it kind of shows you where you can, what you can touch and what you shouldn't touch. But like I said, tell me tell me about this revolutionary call sheet plan. Yeah, <laughs> so now uh, it's very lofty. It's a yeah, revolutionary sure. call sheet. Yeah, now yeah, all yeah. of a sudden, all but, I said is that we've redesigned it. What we did is looked at okay, if the call sheet doesn't have to be this way. How could it be? Mm-hmm. What's a different way? And so the way that our call sheets look is that we actually request photos of everybody on the crew. So we Love have it. Love it. We have everybody's photo and it's organized by call time. I physically just felt better from that. Wait, how many <laughs> what is there a limit on crew size to do that? Like if you have a hundred person crew, you get all their photos? Absolutely. And if somebody And how many don't some people are like, I don't want my photo on the call sheet. Well, actually I'm I was surprised because I thought that would happen a lot, but nobody has ever said no, you can't have my photo for the call sheet or what is this about? They actually, in the day, in the era that we're living in, people just send their photo. Mm-hmm. And if they don't get around to it because they're on set or 
maybe they're resisting silently. What we do is that we select a photo of a famous person who has the same first name. Uh, that's oh, nice. that's so fun. For instance, that's if fun. their name is Matt, sure. then we would put in a photo of Matt Damon. Oh, okay. I was going to go McConaughey, but sure. Yeah, yeah whatever. Exactly. <laughs> Anyone. It can change. All right, all right, it all can right. change. So yeah, we have, and we have their photographs and it's organized by call time. And then within that, it's alphabetical. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's alphabetical and organized by call time. And actually what that typically does is that it brings the people who are historically at the bottom of the call sheet to the top. Mm-hmm. And often those are the people that are the black and brown folks. Wait, because it's PAs alphabetical? Because it's by call time. Oh, it's by call time. Okay, yes. Exactly. Yes. So a lot of times the PAs will be the first production and PAs right. are the people at the top of the call sheet. Right. And so suddenly the people who are at the bottom are now at the top. Mm-hmm. And that means that the director or the client, because I work a lot in commercials and promos, like you said, they're all mixed in. So mm-hmm. they're going to be lower down on the call sheet mm-hmm. if you look at it in a vertical structure yeah. because of their call time. And then I suppose their their role is just kind of, the departments are typically kind of all called together, right? So it's not that big of an issue if you're like, ah, oh, wait, who are the grips here or whatever? Like it's it's not... Not yeah. really. Yeah. No, it's clear. And it's also, pretty quick. Yeah. And it's easy to find yourself, one, because it's alphabetical, and two, because it's a photo that you have typically supplied. Mm-hmm. So if you just look at it, you can see your own photo very easily. Wait, but it's alphabetical and by call time? It's organized by call time first, and then within each category, because presumably people, more than one person would have an 8 a.m. call time. So then within that, instead of organizing it by position, it's mm-hmm. organized alphabetically. So if your call time is 8 a.m., all the people who have an 8 a.m. call time, their photos are there alphabetically. Cool. And then do you use fancy names like uh, production administrator? <laughs> that Instead is not a, a fancy name. <laughs> <laughs> no. Better than assistant, no? Oh. It is. I mean, in a way, that whole like manager, coordinator, assistant is also an old language from. Sure. And kind of a little confusing, frankly. You know, it would be better if it was just- there's a way to clarify that, I'm sure, you know. So what else do you do on this call sheet? That's that's, that's basically the, the call sheet, yeah. And then... And um, so there's their emails or any contact? Emails. Anything? Yeah, we don't put... Oh, this gets back to your question about phone numbers, and we don't put phone numbers because there's something that feels a little inappropriate to me about someone's photo and their phone number. Right. And actually, you don't need it. So if you have a celebrity on set, do you also put a picture of a celebrity with the same name, same first name, but a different celebrity? We actually, I just was on set with a celebrity on Tuesday and we used a photo of that celebrity. Yeah, yeah. I guess once they're famous enough that it's easy to just find a photo. And is the publicist, you have to get the publicist to approve the call sheet? (laughs) We did not in Uh, this case, perhaps. Can you tell us what celebrity? It was Jamie Lee Curtis. Oh, Oh, cool. cool. Phenomenal. She walked on set and shook everybody's hand, said, hi, I'm Jamie. I love it when they do Hi, I'm Jamie. I knew it was going to be a good day. Yeah, yeah. That's a really good sign. Um, the thing I love about going back to the call sheet for a second, most of the time what I need a call sheet for is to remind myself of someone's name and having the photo, there you go, it's nice and easy. Do you right. print them out or is it just digitally tra- transmitted? We print one out and we hang it, we post it on post set, it. Nice. but it's mainly digital. Yeah. yeah and another thing good. that we do, and again, these aren't like uh, things that maybe we might not even be doing these a year from now, but mm-hmm. what we do now, we also have name tags on set. Yeah. Yeah, I like name tags, but mine is always stuck to my boot, like almost immediately. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh wait, yeah. Oh, we have we have, have nice name tags. Stuck to your- <laughs> we don't have that kind of name tag. Yeah. We have legit. Um, oh, oh, you don't have the like, hello, my name is. You have like a lanyard. We started with those, but <laughs> yeah. we evolved, so now we have magnet name tags. Mm, so like, it has our oh, logo. We only on hire it. cyborgs. <laughs> That's it. And then uh, you, they're magnetized, and it has your name. No on way. It. 
Serious? Yeah, I'm serious. That's pretty fancy. And then we get them back at the end. We clean them off and use oh. them for the next job. Is that? Did you get that idea from Greta Gerwig by any chance? No. Did she do that? She like did does name tags on set, and then like oh. it's like every day she has a different prompt. Like, what's your favorite book? What's what did you eat for oh, breakfast no yesterday? Yeah. Or whatever. We do something like that. Sim- I actually don't know anything about that, but we do something similar when we send out the call sheet. Call we sheet. ask a question. Yeah, I do love the call sheet. So question. we send. Oh yeah, we yeah. say like what. What series are you binge watching mm-hmm. right now? And we get everybody's answers and we also post that on set. It becomes oh, a fun. good conversation yeah. piece for people. Yeah. Now, do you find, because like I love all that stuff and I, it sounds so fun and cool and everyone gets to know each other better. But like sometimes, like I have a shoot tomorrow and, you know, we're under resourced as usual. And a lot of people are doing multiple jobs and we're trying to figure out and the script literally is like not locked yet and my, our call time is 6 a.m. tomorrow. Um and so, like, it, you almost kind of need a person to manage the name tags and manage this stuff. Like, do you do it on every You, you set? do have to have a, a team member who is happy to take it on, right? That's true. Yeah, like, someone has to be enthusiastic about it, right? Yeah, we do have a person who's assigned to that. And I, I don't actually think that it takes m- re- more resources necessarily, but it does take a different kind of allocation of resources. And I think... On some level, it really, it's like a production polish, a production finesse. And I think when I started the company, one of the things I became very interested in is this idea of branding the production experience. Mm-hmm. I, I like that. Yeah. yeah, I think the production, I think we overlook that production is an experience. We focus a lot on the customer experience or on the product. Mm-hmm. And I think if you look at corporate culture right now, they focus a lot on the employee experience. Mm-hmm. But on set we really ignore largely the production experience itself when you you mean the production experience you mean like the experience you are offering your clients or the experience you're offering your the your, the production people the crew all of it i think that we focus a lot on the the experience that we offer the clients right they'll be in video village we get their coffee orders mm-hmm. there there's a lot of focus on like maybe the talents experience on set or the client and then the crew is completely mm-hmm. overlooked disregarded yeah. and i and i yeah. think that you know, again, from a business perspective, I think if you walk on a typical set, you it feels like any other set because we're all freelancers, right? So the same people, I love when companies are like, we have the best crew. I'm like, no, you don't. Yeah, we right. all have the we same have crew. We have the same crew. Yeah. Your sound mixer. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. was on our job yesterday. It's not like you have the best crew. And I think that this idea of when you walk on set with the light, you know you're on set with the light. Mm-hmm. From the second you walk on set, it's clear that you're inside of and a different kind of And to be clear, when you say that, you mean your production company. I do. My okay. production company. Not when you're an electrician like, oh, it's too carrying a no. light panel somewhere. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I asked for the pun, yeah, yeah, so yeah, it's my I know. fault. No, that wasn't a pun. That was honestly, for a second, I was like, when you walk on a set with the light, and then I realized the second later. So right. just making sure Not if you're a guest. listeners remember that the light <laughs> is the name of your company. So going back to your website, um, mm-hmm. which but I love the domain... Um, whatever you call the .com part of it, the subnet, whatever. It's the light.nyc, which is so cool. Oh, that is cool. But uh, you have a tab called directors, and you have eight directors listed on here. And under directors, it says top-notch free agents. And so does that mean that these directors are freelance directors or they're not, that they're not exclusive to your company? Yes, that's what it means, exactly. And actually, we have many more directors than that. That's who's listed on the website. We actually don't. I think that having a roster of signed directors, in my opinion, is an, is part of like an old school paradigm. And it's not something that's a match for the way that we do business. 
I I think that's very interesting, and I think that we're in a strange transitional period where I think there are a lot of people who are freelance and happy to be freelance and love that life, and then there's still kind of the biggest companies are all still roster oriented. Yes, and I think that the common argument is that, and it's something that we've experienced ourselves many many times, if your company has sales reps and they and they're presuming that you're exclusive, then when they pitch you, if someone else pitches you as well, say you know, say the light pitches the director that some other company has pitched, then the sales reps feel they, they look invalid or basically or like they're not in the, in the know and all of a sudden there's a complication there. But that's the big thing that people are afraid of with and the big advantage of exclusive being on a roster besides all of the marketing and support that you get. Aww. <laughs> I feel so bad for the sales reps who feel invalid. Yeah, sure. Well, but it's not like, invalid, but they're but, an uh, idea yeah, no. for you as a director. I've lost jobs because I've been pitched by multiple yeah, sales yeah. reps, and they're it, like, oh. It, it has legitimately been yeah. a, an actual problem. Like, mm-hmm. lost the job yeah. and, like, burnt, accidentally burnt a bridge. Basically. They're like, oh, we're not going to submit you anymore. You know, when you're a company that submits one director for a bid, which is, as directors, that's what we prefer because we've worked with a lot of companies that submit like five directors and they want us to like do this work and save the state and do all this time and rearrange our life for this job that they don't even have. But then we find out it's not just that they pitched us, they pitched like four other directors. But but the point is like, you know, like... Yeah, it's not about the poor sales reps. It is about the, as a director... Being pitched by multiple people is tends to not be a good thing. Like if you're a client to the same client, and like one person is pitching you on one a person, and then the the, a different person is pitching you that person, then all of a sudden it's just like that's complicated enough. They're just like, well, no, we'll just go with someone else. Else, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? I get it. I think that that's like that may happen sometimes. I'm curious about how you deal with that and what your perspective is on it. Yeah, I think that that's like you said that could happen and that's unfortunate when it does happen or i've def- i've had people contact me and be like wait i think i'm already being submitted for the same sure, job right. like okay well then i won't submit you um but i also think that there's there's different kinds of work that exist out there so i've been working in this business for 15 years and when i started we were shooting on film we would get bags cans cores and camera reports you know is it I worked on 2 million dollar commercials mm-hmm. where i was chartering private planes to go on a tech scout right okay do that. you think of those as the good old days? Or I no? do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> and it was yeah. a it was a private plane from LAX to Burbank <laughs> to actually. Um, what's that place that's near Barstow? Oh, oh, yeah. LAX. It was Santa Monica Airport to Barstow. Yeah, oh, yeah. wow. The key grip was. I like, was joking, This is the best day like, of my life. Yeah. Best yeah. tech scout ever. I mean, Barstow. It is a drive. It is a drive. Yeah. See, there's still a place for those kinds of, uh, you know, big budget jobs with the high end commercial directors, and there's a place for that. But there's also the industry's blown open and there's uh, so many other kinds of jobs out there. And I, I think what we're really focused on is this idea of elevating production. So a lot of the clients that come to us come to us because one, they they trust us to work with directors who are competent and qualified and mm-hmm. talented. And they also come to us for the production experience. Mm-hmm. So often they'll come to the light and they'll ask who's a director that you want to put on this job as opposed to them coming for the directors, which is a shift I'm talking about when it comes to production. Because often what what in the traditional model, it's all about, it's Mm director-driven. And the production company is there to be a vehicle for this talent. 
which is the visionary director. Mm -hmm. And I think that as jobs get different and smaller or they're for social or they're lower budget, that idea of this iconic visionary auteur. Sure. You, male, Ridley Scott isn't going to do every single director. <laughs> exactly. The Instagram spot for. Yeah, exactly. Gotcha. The director yeah. then becomes a member of the team in a different way, the same way that we have an art director, the same mm -hmm. way we have a cinematographer, a DP, or a producer, that the director's status doesn't become this elevated, mm -hmm. extolled thing that we all worship and serve. It becomes somebody who has a very specific function on the set. Mm -hmm. And I think that's often what people don't understand about directors, or at least that's not what I understood when I was in film school. Sure. You know, I thought, yeah, right. Well, theory. I mean, yeah. I guess just to offer a counter point it's the directors are like a dp is not writing a treatment and spending three weeks bidding for a job and then the schedule pushes and then they're like you know they're not watching a project through post the production designer the art director the editor none of those people aside from the producer is really on the job that entire time that the director's on that job so if a director you know gets three thousand dollars for this one day shoot they've really well, spent like a month and a half on it, you know, not, and obviously they're doing other things too, but, um, it's not about them being an elevated auteur sometimes, but there is, uh, like a, a shepherding that they're going to do of the project that like probably no other person, person right. from a creative standpoint is going to do except for maybe someone at an ad agency. Yeah, not necessarily. Yeah. Again, I think there's different types of jobs and maybe that's for sure. That's for sure. One type of job, but a lot of jobs that I'm on, I, we don't triple bid them. The director doesn't spend three weeks doing a treatment. They come to us and they say, who do you want to put on this job? And we hire a director and show them they're real. They're not doing, maybe once they're on the job, they'll put together a treatment, but they're not um, being uh, award. We're not being awarded the job based on the director's treatment. Right. 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 Yeah. But I, I guess maybe the other part of what Oren's point was, because I think, I think that's wonderful. And also, frankly, like a relief, right? Because sometimes the pressure of like, oh, if my ideas aren't good, then this whole company doesn't get the job. And like, they're all our mm. friends. You know, like I right. want I want to keep the lights on. You know what I mean? That's a lot of pressure. And as directors, um, we would love, we would prefer for someone to sit call and say, hey, can you direct this thing? <laughs> yeah. You know, in two weeks. Yeah, sign me up. Um, um, but, but the thing is, is that even if you're not maybe doing all of that prep work of the work for free of getting the job, the director is still the likely the only person who's had all of the conversations that it takes to make an informed decision about art direction or the cinematography or something. Like I often say that it's like so much of the time you're just course correcting. If you hire a great crew, then everyone's coming up with awesome ideas, but it's not, is this idea good or bad? Is does it serve the overall creative, right? And so oftentimes people haven't had all of the conversations they haven't been in the ppm they haven't talked to the client you know all of those all that prep work is so that you get in tune with what the client really needs and how to kind of like sculpt and shift for them do you know what i mean yeah absolutely i do so it's, it's not like my vision it's just like <laughs> you know like well, look, I've just been a couple overly weeks sensitive talking about directors. This. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, like, I'm in a conversation with directors. Uh, right, so right. Sure. It's a little No, for sure. That, and that's the point of view of, of the podcast. Um, you know, <laughs> it is from a director's point of view. And, and I do, like, for sure, there's like, there could be a big job where they're like, hey, Regina King is, is going to be available on Thursday. We need to film her in this Cadillac and we're going to do this. And it's like kind of all coming together. And the director literally is just like, hey, can you just like make a shot list and show up on set and make right. sure that everything sure, goes sure. the way it needs to go and not figure this out you know right for us and in that regards for sure there are just like kind of 
they more like a DP, more like a production designer, more like, here's the job, here's how to do it, go do it. W- would you say, Becky, that maybe some of what used to be a director's job has shifted to the production company? I mean, I can't speak for the industry as a whole. And like mm-hmm. I'm saying, there's definitely different facets of the industry. And I think that in my experience, often people will, a client will come and they will know from the beginning they want to work with our production company. Right. So that's locked in. There's no triple bid, anything like that. What then happens is we may cycle through directors who mm-hmm. we're going to, you know, assign to that job mm-hmm. and that the client agrees on, but mm-hmm. they already know they're going to work with a light. So right. I'd say that that's maybe different than a traditional model. And I think what I'm talking about about the director is, you know, the director has a specific function on the set in the mm-hmm. same way that other people do. And I do think that there is a historical um, idea of what a director sure. is, which uh, is more than just yeah, their sure. role. Yeah, yeah. yeah, a director visualizes the the script, right? They'll do the storyboards, they'll come up with the shot list, they'll direct the actors, they'll make decisions. But they're definitely, it's undeniable that there is a idea of the director as a force that is the one that we are there to serve. I mean, that is, I mean, again, I've worked yeah. with hundreds of directors sure. in my career, and that's Typically, the idea of the director that yeah. there's either I guess that feels icky, yeah. right? I feel like yeah, yeah. to me that's that's yeah, yeah. But to me, like a like a, <laughs> a for me, yeah. if I've done like an excellent job directing, then it means I probably don't even need to be on set <laughs> because I've communicated so well with the actors, with the produ- pro- you know producers, the agency, like the DP, and like if I show up and I'm like deathly ill and I have to go, you know, to the bathroom for two hours, that the shoot can go on without me because. Right. But w- it's not really to me about the onset time as much as the either side of onset. Time. Right, but I think we're talking about maybe two different things here, right? Like you're talking about the job of directing and you're talking about you're talking about, about the attitude the attitude that we towards directors. Towards directors. Towards right? directors. Yeah. And that's is yeah. what I'm talking about. Yeah. Cuz being on the flip side of I think that being a producer for many years it is I'm there to serve the director and to serve the client mm-hmm. and to be an intermediary between the two. And I think that really, in a way, everyone on set is there to serve the director's vision, whether or not it's a lofty vision is, you know, up for mm-hmm. interpretation. But that's why that's the way that it's modeled. That but what's is funny there. is I think of like my job, like tomorrow there's going to be an agency and a client there and a producer. And I think, yes, the producer's job is to make me happy at the same time she's making the agency happy. And the agency's job is to make the producer happy at the same time they're making the client happy. And my job is to make the producer happy at the same time I'm making the DP and the production designer and wardrobe and makeup and all those people happy. Mm -hmm. So I think we're all doing the same job. It's just at a different. So because you as the producer happen to be like right between the director and the client, you feel like part of your job is to support the director as a producer. But as a director, I feel like part of my job is to support the DP when the DP says like, we, there's no way we can do this many shots. And I would say, let's get another camera. And the producer's like, we don't have the budget for another camera. Like I'm trying to serve the DP who, and ultimately, in my opinion, like serve the client and the agency mm-hmm. and make the producer look good. Mm-hmm. And the creative. Yeah. So it's, everyone, I think, feels like, oh, I have to, you know, I have to please this person above me and make the person that I hired happy, you know? When you say like... S- like serve the director, it puts a pit in my stomach, right? And so I think that part of the show is about figuring out like, oh, everyone does something different, right? And so, or every director does does it differently. So what I'm getting at is that separate from the way that Oren and I see ourselves and the way that we like to do the work, 
have you seen a shift in the attitude of directors that you work with and and the way in which they approach the work and the way in which they are expected to be treated do you know what i mean like i i think like like a lot of what you're talking about i i genuinely hope i don't ever convey that to people or expect that of people or or you know the, that I, i'm hoping that i do it differently than than what maybe historically people have expected right right i'm sure but even like if a gaffer a, calls you boss you're like yeah i don't like don't it. call me that. I don't, yeah, yeah for <laughs> sure and and would ask them not to but so taking us out of the equation i guess is what i'm saying like like because it's such a personal thing you know have you seen differences over the years do you know what i mean or is it just the, like on that two million dollar commercial versus like a sure. twenty thousand dollar right. promo you're shooting. Like, have you seen the attitudes of the director be different um, across that span? Is that what you're asking? Yeah, or even just more modern. Like in the in the last five years since you started the light, are you attracting people who don't expect that sort of mentality? I'd say it's a mix, and I think what I'm talking about is I'm very interested in a systems perspective, mm-hmm. right? And so while you're right, like that may be something that makes that you on set, you're a benevolent, kind, generous, collaborative <laughs> sure. human being. A benevolent being. king. <laughs> you, a benevolent director king. You're not a director dictator. Right? Right, there right. may be someone who does, is on set has a different attitude. Correct. right? Yeah, yeah. But if you were to take out your individual personalities from the equation, from a system standpoint, that is the role of the director. Like mm-hmm. there is, if you go to the history, the director was initially called the director general. And then they mm-hmm. drop general from the title. Right. So that the idea is that in this in this militaristic factory-based paradigm, the director does have that role where mm-hmm. everyone is there to serve that director. I mean, whether that's your personal preference or not, that's the role. Mm-hmm. And I th- what I'm talking about is that as we march towards equity and inclusion and sustainability and a different kind of future, that we cannot do that without actually examining and dismantling parts of the system that are in in their very nature obsolete. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm talking about yeah. with the director. No matter if you have the most like incredible sure. kind yeah. director on set, the the system is still broken. Yeah. Yeah. I mean it's interesting because I guess I just feel like you get different types of things in the light, you know, so we have friends that have a company called Sawhorse and I think they work very similar to the light. They, a lot, a lot of their jobs, probably more than 50% of their jobs, they are approached by the client or by an agency and they, they're really, really, really amazing at post-production and their clients know like no matter what we give you and how crazy this job is, you're going to find someone to do it that all the people that own the company have like really good taste and they make sure Everything they put out is great and they make sure the post is going to be top notch. And so the director isn't really like that. Like the question mark of who's going to direct this isn't going to make this either like the worst thing ever or the best thing ever. It's already their job. Yeah. There's already a minimum quality that you're going to expect from going to Sawhorse, which I feel like is probably a similar thing to the light. And correct me if I'm wrong, but what I hear you saying is like you've built this company in a way that it's a little, um, it can withstand like any crew member changing is not gonna destroy this project because you've built the system where no one person has like the power to make or break this unless their name is Becky Morrison. <laughs> no, God, no, not at all. Yes, you were so close, Oren. You were 99% of the way there until that last part. But yeah, that's exactly it. And I would say, the one thing I would say is that it's not that we have created that. 
but what you're describing is what we're working towards, where from a systems perspective that when you walk onto set, that we are putting people through a process wherein they naturally at the end of that feel better when they leave set than when they arrived. Because the fact is that's not the process they are often put through now. Sometimes they do, but sometimes people do not feel better mm-hmm. when they leave set than when they arrived. Often during the safety meeting in the morning, I speak a little bit about this and I'll say, raise your hand if you've ever been yelled at on set. Mm-hmm. You know, Many people raise their hand. And then I say, raise your hand if you've ever left set feeling worse than when you arrived. And 100%, 100%. of the people raise their sure. hand. So what I'm talking about is creating a process and a system and an experience wherein that does not happen anymore. Because the fact is that we're operating inside of an invisible system, which produces those results. And that by becoming conscious of the system and actually consciously creating the system, we can produce different results. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm talking about. And that's the ultimate goal. Yeah. 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 So I'm curious then. So it, it, it sort of almost feels like you're saying I'm, you're systematizing being nice, right? <laughs> <laughs> which is wonderful. Can you give me a few other examples of the ways in which you've implemented like kind of the specifics of it, you know, like totally. so we've got name tags, we've got the uh, improved safety meeting, we've got a better call sheet. Exactly. Um, we pay people within 72 hours of wrap. Oh yeah. Ooh, there you go. Nice. Yeah. We reach out to everybody in advance and we ask what their dietary restrictions are and what their yeah. snack requests are. And part of this, it's, I like that one. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting. You know, a lot of people say, Oh, it's like, you want to make set or you do these games and I, they always know not to say that word in front of me because I get up I'm like it's not a game it's actually yeah. it's real life it's this is serious <laughs> everyone because it is it's it's part of people being acknowledged for who they are maybe you are allergic to cashews mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that's important for us to know sure. I don't know we don't put cashews in lunch and then nobody asks you and then you don't eat lunch and another thing we do is we listen to the crew we have a we have a way where we receive feedback from them on every job. We say, what did we do well? What could we do better? What are other ideas you have? Okay, now, Becky, you have six jobs in the span of four weeks. You have to do pre-production, post-production, fly around the country, calls, all that stuff. And you're still, when that is happening, you're still getting feedback from your last shoot on like who liked the cashews? <laughs> yes, that's exactly right. Um, right before I came here, I mean, that's exactly describing my life. I mean, I'm... I, we have we had a shoot yesterday in New York. I didn't produce. We had a shoot on Tuesday here in L.A., one this weekend, one the weekend before. It's exactly what's happening right now. We have feedback forms and we receive we pass out feedback forms and we have them fill them out. And then someone scans them and People we read like, them. There isn't enough paperwork already. <laughs> no, it's. A, yeah, right. We all of our time cards are digital. So oh, it's really? the only piece. Yes. That's cool. Yes. Yeah. And it's only piece of paper they fill out. And the thing is that, you know, the, a big part of what we do is listening to the crew because for me, that's an untapped goldmine of ideas sure. yeah. because I, for a while we, we've been doing like longer types of crew interviews too mm-hmm. and asking people, how do you think things could be done differently? And the truth is that all of them have ideas that sure. most of their ideas are good and nobody is listening to them. They always say, wow, no one has ever asked me this before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they have ideas and we, some of them are very easily implementable. And when we do, it makes a difference for them and it elevates the whole brand. And it seems to me like, well, why aren't we listening to yeah. people more? Love it. Love it. Yeah. I feel like there is kind of like the journeyman, journeywoman director, journey person director who is freelance, who's going from gig to gig, who's bidding with this company and now this company and now this company and they're making this. And it's like they are not, it's not really about their vision. It's about 
being part of a team. And then there are like the Brian Buckley's of Hungry Man. You know, there's like Volant Accords of, you know, Park Pictures. There's, you know, a, a mm-hmm. billion great, like uh, John and Val, the directors that did like Little Miss Sunshine that also do commercials that are repped at one company, Anonymous or wherever they are. And you know that that company is pushing them and giving them money to do a short film so that they can prove that they can do sports stuff or whatever, you know, and it's like a different type of relationship. It's less about the family of the crew and the director and it's more about the production company and the director and like uh, working towards like a specific, like artistic vision. It's, and that's kind of like right now in my life, that is like a little bit of like my dream, you know, is to like be in a place where, People are like, oh, yes, we are hiring you, Oren, because you're Oren, not because you are a director that is a cog that fits into this production company. Um, and obviously it's like coming from this like orthogonal point of view to you, to you because you are you're building a company that's big, that's with should be able to withstand anything and scale and handle throughput um, and also make stuff that you're proud of because you have good people working with you. But as a director. I think we're always working to try to break that, you know, like I don't want to make like seven good promos. I want to make one amazing Geico commercial, you know? Yeah. Uh, Can I, I'd like to say something about that because I think that that's totally fair and there's a place for that. But the fact is that that is also a very masculine paradigm and, and there really has not been a lot of room for women or people of color inside of that paradigm. And I think that what I'm talking about is creating an inclusive vision for production and what i have seen is that for instance we work with a lot of female directors Mm -hmm. and it's very interesting as i've started to work with female directors because i've worked with male directors for my entire career i did not work with a single female director until last year okay oh so i've worked with many male directors and what you're describing in the in the you know typical model traditional model is that is this idea of like also competition and winning Mm -hmm. bidding competition and winning Right. And conquering, which is and that I think in, in myself, that is a lot of what I took on mm-hmm. in order to succeed in this business, like a very masculine operating system sure, in sure. my own personality. Yeah. And what I'm seeing as I work with more women, that's not the way that a lot of women work. And that what I'm seeing is many women directors that we work with actually have clients in their network but they didn't have a production company who was repping them. Mm -hmm. So now they're bringing their clients to the light so that they can direct things. And the whole way that they're working is very different. It's a lot more open and there's more like, how can we help each other? How can we help each other? Like female directors. One thing that we recently did is that there was a job that wanted to have a female director and I brought female directors together, three female directors, and said, who, who wants to do this job? Let's talk about it together, as opposed to the typical way, which would be that I would choose one. I would send, share them with the mm-hmm. client. We'd get that approved, and then i go back to them. I said, let's talk this out. Who feels like they're the best suited for this job? Mm-hmm. You know, And knowing that they're not, the same person's not going to get the job over and over again, but maybe you love fashion and you don't love fashion, so let's sure, talk sure. it out together. And there's less of that sense of competition. And so I think that what, while what you're describing absolutely has a place and still is 90% of the industry, I'm describing an alternative world mm-hmm. that we are building because there's not a lot of room for us in that other world. My experience is not, is, is not like that. Like, um, of like course not. <laughs> there are, I, I know it, it seems, and I'm 
very happy to be like like taught that I'm wrong, you know, but like the competition of it all is not something that I enjoy in any way. Like I, again, we, I think Matt and I would both rather be called like my job tomorrow I got because I did this, the a similar campaign for the same company last year. And they just were like, we need to shoot this thing in a week. Oren, can you do it? And that, and that is by far my preferred method of getting work of like, of spending all my time collaborating and none of my time competing. But, um, but they're, Yes, I'm obviously traditionally like these like big powerhouse commercial directors have been male, but I'm I've you know there's a lot of really great female commercial directors. Um, you know we've Matt and I have had a lot on the podcast. We've competed against a lot. We've like won against them. We've lost to them. I don't think we ever enjoy like beating someone else, but we as directors we want to work. And you know for us like shooting 10 things a year is like a pretty good year you know so it's less about beating other people or the competition or anything i I don't think we like that that we're up against other people i think yeah it's um wanting the job and and having like a voice that that is like nurtured whether regardless of who you are i mean i understand what you're saying that that's maybe like a masculine attitude I think it comes back to what we were just talking about before, which is this idea of like dissociating the people who are sitting in this room or who are listening from the system. Mm -hmm. And while that may not be something all that you enjoy and that's amazing and that may not be you may it may put a pit in your stomach when people look at you that way. What I'm talking about is a system that has existed over 100 years. I mean, commercials have been around maybe less than that. Right. 1941 was the first commercial and film was invented in 1890. But historically, that system has not had room for different types of people and that the system itself was created 100 percent by white men. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe not 100, but like 90 sure, percent. Sure. And that we're living now in the legacy of that system. And while we may not, um, you know, individually adhere to all the values of it, mm-hmm. that we're, we're, we're living with the legacy of a 100-year-old system, which is that. Like the fact is that production you know, when when the first organizational systems were created for the studios, this was at a time before women had the right to vote. This was a time, right. you know, when when there was segregation. This was a time, like, that was the time when, if you think about it, if you go back to 1914 or even 1920, people were riding around in horse-drawn carriages. People did not have refrigerators in their home. In 1914, World War I was going on. And, you know, this was a totally different era when these systems were created. So cut to 2020, the fact is that while we may not like those in our individual expression or agree with them, we are still using the same system. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that it's fair to call that system masculine, whether or not. Whether you want it. Whether you want it to be or not. Right, right, right. Right. But look at the, so the example you brought up of the three female directors, like I'm assuming one of them ended up getting the job. Yes. And two didn't. Yeah. So if you were one of those three directors and you were like, oh, I need to pay my rent this month. And now Becky just called me and she said, oh, there's a job that um, that we're considering you for, but we're also considering two other directors for. Do you think you should get it? Like wh- what makes you not want to fight to get the job? I think that, well, uh, what I'll say about that is that that is typically what would happen is that that would happen in a non-transparent way that what would happen was that that conversation wouldn't happen with the directors. Mm-hmm. The conversation would happen, I mean, I would make the decision. Right, mm-hmm. you'd be talking to the client, here's three exactly. reels. 
And what I'm saying now is that we're going to make that decision together as a group. Mm-hmm. So you're right. If you have a, then if you have bills to pay and you want to really get that job, then let's talk about it together. And if that's, you know, I think I guess it's, more, it's, it's a little bit of like, well, when don't you have bills to pay? <laughs> right. And also, you know, like, and nobody wants to get a job no, like as a producer, you're probably not like going to say, well, we'll give Matt the job because he's in debt right now. You know, right. That's <laughs> yeah, not yeah. a good yeah. reason. You want the best person for the project. Yeah. And, but I mean, I'm, I, I'm all for transfers. And when I'm like this company, Sawhorse, sometimes they're like, hey, you should look at Oren to direct this thing. And like five other directors. And I always ask them, like, who are the other five directors? And sometimes I see like, oh, you know, Carlin or Matt or this, this other person. This is like right in their wheelhouse. Sure. You should probably go with them. It's nice. It's exactly. A, but um, that's a wonderful feeling. I guess it's like there. there's the dichotomy of like, if there were three jobs and it was like, oh, well, who gets each one? Then it's easy. Right. But when I think your point of like the competition, it's like when you may not work that month. Right. Realistically, you know, how many jobs are you up for in a month? It's a it's a lot harder to be like, oh, well, this one, I think this is better for that person. You know, yeah, I, get, I agree like with it's, what you're saying. It's nice for it to be invis- it's nice for you to be like, oh, well, Matt doesn't have anything on his reel that would work. So like, we'll just go to this person Do you, yeah. to someone else. You know what I mean? I do. And I don't think we, I certainly don't want to imply that we do that on every job. It was more of an, an experiment yeah. and it worked. And I think that it's, it's by having a, it's having a conversation. And yeah. I think that if the understanding, if it's coming from a place that's not of scarcity and lack, and it's sure. the idea that there's going to be another job next month where that's possible. And that then if I'm not going to take this one, I'll take the next one. Mm-hmm. You know, that this, I've done that. The first job I ever produced <laughs> was an accident actually. And I got a call and they said, okay, there's two projects that I want to talk to you about. One is a motion capture car commercial mm-hmm. and one is like a concert green screen job. Mm-hmm. Now, my uncle was in the rock and roll business. I danced on stage with Michael Jackson mm-hmm. when I was eight, which is no longer as cool as it was <laughs> sure. a few years ago. I, he toured with the Grateful yeah, Dead. I grew up backstage at rock concerts and I'd done a lot of green screen. I'd never done a car commercial. I'd never done mocap and I had never produced a job before. So what happened, and this was, an, this was an executive producer calling. I was actually a production manager at the time. And I met, ran into this executive producer at a party who I had worked with years ago. And he told me, I want to talk to you about these jobs. And I thought, does he know I'm just a production manager? Because mm-hmm. why would an EP want to talk to me? But I thought, okay, let me just talk to him anyway. Sure. He told me about both of those jobs. I thought about it. And I thought, you know what? Like, I don't want to do that motion capture car commercial. I don't. Like, I sure. don't feel comfortable doing that. Right. And yeah, you're right. Maybe I wasn't going to work that month, but for me, it didn't matter. I didn't feel comfortable and I didn't want to put him in a bad position. Right. You had danced with Michael Jackson. I had danced <laughs> with Michael Jackson. You didn't mean anything Damn else. it. I didn't have to do a motion capture car commercial. And I turned it down. And actually what ended up happening is that job didn't come through. And I, I texted him that I wasn't comfortable doing the job. I got on the subway and I went to meet a friend for coffee. I had a coffee. I got out of the coffee and I had voicemails from this executive producer and text. And I was like, what? And, he, and I listened to my voicemail and he said, hey, Becky, so it turns out that the green screen concert job came through. It awarded. I just put you on a chain with the agency producer and let's start talking about a DP. And I, I said, what? I, I turned that job down. And I, I looked and I saw the budget in my email and I saw that it was 20 days of a producer for a thousand dollars a day, mind you, I was a production manager at this time. Yeah, yeah. 
And then I looked and I saw that the text I had sent him turning the job down had a red exclamation point <laughs> to, next to it because I had gone into the subway. So it never went through. Sure. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, I thought, so New York. I thought, well, you got to start it's sometime. Rock roll, yeah. It's rock and roll, baby. So I did that job. I did that job. That was my first job I ever produced. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> I didn't do the motion capture sure. commercial. So you, that was the point. Right. So your example of turning down jobs <laughs> is the job you had 20 grand on. Exactly. Uh. Exactly. <laughs> Self-awareness paid off. I love it. Um, well, that's cool. Well, any anything... I, I do I do actually have... Because uh, I, I think that there are going to be plenty of people who will be like, oh man, this sounds incredible. Sign me up. I want to learn what it's like to be a part of this new system in the light what are you looking for in a collaborator how can how how do you find these new directors and voices that you want to work with do they have to live in new york no not at all we have directors all over the place i think that well there's a few questions inside of that right the mm-hmm. questions is it about like how we find new talent new directors yeah let's start with that that's okay. great yeah so that's a good question because I do think that if people cold email us, mm-hmm. we don't typically, someone does read those emails, but typically yeah. it's not me. And yeah. we don't go with people that way because- Have it, you ever signed anyone or even like worked with someone, I mean, um, uh, from a cold email? No. Okay. No. But there is, I feel like there is this thing, it's like actors, right? If someone sent you a cold email with like an incredible reel of stop motion stuff and you got- boards for a stop motion job and you don't have a director you might be like oh well i got this director i got this project maybe probably right. not no <laughs> yeah. we wouldn't yeah. do that Even i don't know because there's i think that trust is such a big part of this business and that like someone just emailing i can't you can't feel or see what they're like as a human being and that's a huge part of what we're talking about is like really how someone I'd much rather yeah. work with the That's why you got director. a video message, people. There, that could work. <laughs> Knock on the door of yeah, the office. Yeah. No, but I'd much rather work with a director who I know who they are, their character and their personality and who they are as a person who has less experience than I would with a director who has a lot of experience who I don't know mm-hmm. at all. Although I would say that, you know, this everything runs off recommends. So if somebody recommended a director to me who I didn't sure. know and I saw their reel and they had a great stop motion reel, then I would reach out and talk to them and ideally like meet with them before we were to do a job together because it's such a liability to have. Like, sure. And just I, to play devil's advocate for the first time ever, do you think like your whole ad- like ethos of inclusion, but you will only kind of take people that are recommended from within your circle and your network does, that works against that kind of philosophy in, in some way? It's a good point. I think it's a balance, you know, of like liability and inclusion. I think we do, we have had an innovation lab at the light recently, and we did talk a lot about that, about what does inclusion really mean? And if inclusion is only that my cousin is going to get a job or somebody's mm-hmm. that right. you Or you know. probably hang out with a, you live in Brooklyn, you know, you have like a, probably a specific type of person and, you know, yeah, group, group of people. And that, work in advertising, yeah. right? Like that's a pretty narrow circle right well and we've talked about that a lot and we talked about how can we bring people who may not be inside of this Mm -hmm. network at all into the industry and we have we're developing a mentorship program and we're offering workshops free and low-cost workshops at the office that industry professionals are teaching so that people can be educated and like what does a grip actually Mm -hmm. do what how does this work 
but we're looking at it more that those people would be in from you know a, like a lower level position mm-hmm. not that they would come in as a director i think that there is something yeah that's a big it's a big responsibility the same way hiring producers for me because as i'm passing the torch and not producing all the jobs if someone just emailed me and said i'm a producer it's very unlikely that i would mm-hmm. hire that person for a job just i'm being honest sure you know? no no and that's so helpful so then are you when you're getting those recommendations are you soliciting them? Are you like asking a peer group of like, hey, I'm looking for this type of person, like, like looking for this on their reel or something? Or is it more that like they're coming to you with like, oh, I think you guys would really click? Mm-hmm. It's both. Both. Yeah. It's both. Yeah, it depends on the situation. Sometimes yeah. we ask for recommends and sometimes people say, oh, they know how we are and they say, you got to meet mm-hmm. this person. They're totally. Yeah. Not. I find the best way to find new directors is to go on their podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Wait a minute. Yeah, I see what's going on here. Go. Yeah. It's weird. We've only had producers that hire directors on the podcast. <laughs> is um, this thing so, even on? Yeah, yeah, all, no. Yeah. Um, well, Becky, this is awesome. Thank you for showing us the light. Uh, insert your light pun here. Are you cool with endorsing something with us? Yes. Unpaid endorsements. Unpaid endorsements. Okay. So, I, so I have, I'm shooting this thing tomorrow and it takes place in a kitchen. And it's, uh, I was just trying to come up with like funny bits to do in the kitchen. And um, I realized like if you are ever trying to find like a funny, like physical gag to do in any location, just like type into YouTube, Mr. Bean and the name of the location. (laughs) (laughs) And you will just find like. Wait, are you endorsing (laughs) cribbing Mr. Bean bits? (laughs) Life hack. Yeah. Well, so do you want me to tell you the bits that we came up with? Yeah, there's shoot a tomorrow? turkey on his head. <laughs> so and it's like, like he makes inspired funny faces. By... He smells something strange. I honestly, the turkey on my no. head. Was, no, we're not doing that. But I was like, how can I do our version of the turkey on the head? Um, I mean, it is an incredible bit. Um, but so we got, I got a food processor, a Cuisinart food processor. Uh, and we rigged it with uh, the, so that you can turn it on without closing the lid mm-hmm. and so we're gonna have him put like some bell peppers in the food presser yeah and then just fly yeah. all over the place and then we have uh this is like kind of from a johnny english thing which is mr bean also um and so he makes this giant mess on the counter and he like basically just takes all the the mess he wipes it off the counter into like a drawer mm-hmm. um that there was no drawer there that we added the drawer so he can open it uh and then i actually pitched this but the actor we're, we're working with <laughs> Vito did but he's making this bowl of chili, and I thought it would be fun if he like puts his finger in there, like swat, you know, in the suave, charming fashion to like taste the chili, and it's like insanely hot. But he's like pretending that it's not that hot. And we also have sour cream. This whole thing we're doing is for Bush's baked beans and chili. That he his finger is so hot that he like sticks it in the bowl of sour cream, like cold sour cream, and That's we just funny. hear the tss. That's funny. And then That's later funny. on, when he's trying to put the shredded cheese on the chili, it's like all sticking to his hand because he's got sour cream all over his hand. So. Yeah, so it's less about like stealing exactly something they did, but more about like like getting inspired by like his physicality because you know it's like international. There's no language. There's no mm-hmm. nothing. Everything he does is like it's not relatable because it's so over the top. But it's it's these. It's kind of like he's the Jackie Chan of comedy, right? Like Jackie mm-hmm. Chan can turn a shower curtain into like a tightrope or whatever, and Mr. Bean can turn a turkey into a hat. Yeah, so. Mm-hmm. It's an um, homage. I yeah. can't wait to see the spot. So Mr. Bean space location, you are setting something funny in and you will get many ideas. That's great, man. I love that. 
So I've got a couple of endorsements. One is uh, Casper Call Sheets. It's C-A-S-P-E-R. It's for Excel or for Google Sheets. And it's basically just a smart way of uh, building out the call sheet. A lot of it is automated, which is really nice. And there's also a, a kind of complicated but not too gnarly way of exporting stuff from Movie Magic and then into Casper. So you don't have to do as much data entry as you could. So that's super handy. I've got an LA specific one. The Alamo Draft House season pass is now available to everyone. So for the low, low price, twenty nine ninety nine a month. A month, you can go see a movie a day. I'm so excited about. Are you going to do that? Yeah. It's like what was that one called? That was around movie pass. Movie pass. Netflix. That was awesome. It was like movie pass, but Dang. for Alamo Draft House, I go to the Draft House enough that it'll all net out no problem. Wow. We have yeah. one in Brooklyn yeah. as yeah. well. Right by my house. They may have their season pass available there. They're rolling it out. I mean, that is a you have to go to the movies a lot to make that work. You have to go to the movies twice. Yeah, twenty nine ninety nine. That's how much it is. Yeah, yeah, that's you have to go twice twice. a month. Twice a month. Yeah, Hmm. yeah. Yeah. Well, and that includes like all of their like the repertory stuff that they're doing. Like, I would definitely go twice a month. Yeah, I'm also fortunate that like the metro is like a walkable distance for me, and then it lets out right there. So. I'm very excited. Awesome. So, yeah. So glad I came here to learn that. Yeah. Draft house. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so Becky. Okay. Let's see. Well, I have two. I have a, now that I know that I can have two. So mm-hmm. I have a industry one and a non-industry one. Love it. Cool. Love it. So, what industry? Well, oh, our industry. <laughs> oh. So the I was. The podcasting industry. The podcasting industry. Yeah. The um the non-industry one is I'd like to uh, endorse West African dance classes. Oh. Yes. In pretty much every major city around the globe, there are West African dance classes happening. Yeah, I think um I think I'm aware of one here in Los Angeles, actually, that I have friends who've done. Yeah, and have had a great time. Yeah. Yes, there's several yeah. here in Los Angeles. Yeah, yeah. I've been studying one one at paper or plastic. Oh, I don't know that. Oh. Yes. Yeah. Um, there are, there's a great West African dance here, a class here taught by Dante that is amazing at the mid city arts center. Cool. Oh, nice. But I think in general, I've been studying West African dance for 18 years. Whoa. Okay. And it's a great way. So it is not a trend for you. No, it is not a trend. And then the other, the industry thing I would like to shout out is room tone. I love room tone. I think that, um, you know, as somebody who practices awareness and meditation and Mm -hmm. consciousness, the opportunity on set for there to be everybody to be silent together. Mm-hmm. Every time it happens, I'm like, yes. Oh, so it's not even tone. about the room tone. It's about the moment. It's about quiet. the moment where everybody oh. is, you know, bustling, working, distracted. And then there's a moment where, I don't, for those of you who don't know what room tone is, it's when everybody stops what they're doing on set, stands still, sits there, and is completely silent so that the sound person can capture the ambience of the room. Yeah. I think Jeff Man. Goldblum has a bit about room tone. <laughs> I think like a late night story or he's on something talking about room tone. And it's quite charming. Yeah, I'm going to Google that. Well, cool. Well, thanks, Becky. If people want to find out more about you, obviously there's the light.nyc. There's also, if they have a laptop that works but they're not using, should they check out Globetops? That would be great. Yes. Dot com? Glob- or how yes, Globetops.com. Cool. Exactly. Um, do you tweet or anything? We do. We're at, at the light is lit. Ooh, nice. On Instagram and Twitter. Cool. And are you, is there an at Becky Morrison or anything? There's an at that Bex. Ooh, that's not bad. With an X or a CKS? That Bex. Yep. And there's an at Globetops. 
There you go. Well, anyway, if you want to learn more about the things that we talked about on this show, <laughs> you can go to justshootapod.com to see all of the stuff that we talked about and our endorsements and everything. Uh, we're across all social media at justshootapod, and I'm at Mr. Madden I'm at O'Kaplan on Instagram, and you can find me in other places if you want. This episode was edited by Jonathan Luna. Our webmaster is Ewan Williams, and you're listening to music from the Free Music Archive and the artist Jazar. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone. Bye.